Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Believe in Guardians. It's been a couple of weeks, but we are finally back, and I'm glad to have Zach and Chuck from At The Corner Podcast. I've had them on separately before, but I'm glad we could finally get them on together and kind of give you a taste of what you're missing. Make sure you go check out their, their podcast as well. But Chuck, Zach, thank you for coming on. How are you guys doing? What's up, Amari? How you doing? Yeah, this is exciting. I don't think we've ever done more than all three of us. So yeah, it's yeah. been a been a bizarre off season so far, you know, just not the kind of off season any of us expected. So yeah, it's been fun to say the least. Well, we're uh, we're starting to brace for some colder weather's down here in the south. Y'all can't most of y'all like here this won't see, but I'm in Florida, I'm wearing my hoodie. I got my hat on. Yep, rocking the Buckeyes tonight, and uh, it, it's been good. It's been busy. Uh, I'm getting ready to be gone for an extended period of time, but I'm glad that we can sit down and crank out some off-season talk because until about 48 hours ago, I didn't I didn't think we were going to have much to talk about at all. Maybe a R5 selection, maybe at most, is what we we're looking at. Some, you know, there's been some minor league signings, nothing crazy, but holy cow, did the tides turn yesterday? Like we literally, like literally the winter meetings, like. Everything that happened was nothing of what we expected to happen. Like, yeah, is it, isn't like the winter meetings kind of the like unofficial start of free agency anyway? Because it seems like every year nothing really happens until you hit the winter meetings, and then it just it's kind of like an avalanche from that point on. Like maybe some trade talk, maybe here and there, and then like it's like literally like we're the number one pick in the draft out of nowhere. Yeah, two percent chance, right? Yeah, so gonna... interesting write up on that too. If you have an athletic subscription, you should read it because it's a good absolutely. Read. It is. Yeah, but we're gonna uh, play a little bit of catch up here. Like Zach said, there hasn't been much news to talk about so far in the off season. Another disappointing. Well, I want to say another disappointing year, but just a disappointing year in general from the Guardians. But I do want to start from the uh, pitching standpoint. Uh, something that people may have forgotten about. Years ago was a valuable piece of the rotation. Uh, arguably, your number three, your, uh, your third best pitcher in the rotation. He went through some injuries this year, uh, kind of you know a little bit of backslide in production. But DFAing him, I want to get your opinion on what that will have as a veteran and somebody who has uh, produced effectively. You've seen on the mound uh, will do it to the rest of the rest of the pitching staff that is kind of you know getting younger on top of the trade news or you know rumors that we have uh, from Shane Bieber. So, me and Zach, we have a good thing where, like, if any form of Guardians news happens, like, on impact, we, like, we contact each other and just, like, just talk, literally on impact. Yeah. <laughs> when Cal Quantrill, like, got, every rule five are thinking, who are they going to protect and who's, like, the prospect they're going to trade? When they DFA Cal Quantrill, I like fell out of my chair when I when I read that tweet. But when you look at it, is is Cal Quantrill worth seven million dollars to this franchise to, in this market? Probably not. 
is he worth seven million dollars to twenty five other teams in baseball? Probably. So, in terms of what it does to the rest of the staff, I worry about our depth. I really, really do. It gets really, it gets really thin, really fast. Yes, you have Bybee, Gavin Williams, and Logan Allen, and then you have Bieber, who has hasn't finished a season, hasn't finished a full season in two seasons, and then you have Tristan McKenzie, who had a, had an elbow problem all year, and then what happens if one of those guys goes down? Then what? Then we're looking at Hunter Gaddis. We're looking at Xavier Curry, who I love, who I always have. And then we're, it gets really thin, really fast. And then if you trade Bieber, then we'll never lose. So I'm really, really worried about the pitching. I mean, we used 13, 13 starting pitchers last year. So, I mean, maybe we're underestimating that they think McKenzie is fully healthy. So maybe we're underestimating that. But I worry about the pitching depth as a whole. I do. In terms of his presence, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Two years ago, he was a huge part of this ball club. He was a very big part of their team. But that's just the way this team operates. They, they shuffle. Once somebody gets to arbitration, that you know their name pops up, especially if you're not an above-average regular. So I don't think it's going to have such a big impact, but I, I do worry about the Pitching depth as a whole. I think the running was on the wall for Cal. So, you know, if you just take if you just take a quick peek at his fan graphs page and just go 2022 to 2023, some quick things you can look at to tell that he had kind of regressed. His walks per nine were up. Uh, his Babbitt was up. His left on base percentage was down. His ground ball percentage was down, which means guys were getting elevation on the ball more. Uh, his FIP and his expected FIP were both up. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's fielding independent pitching. That's a metric that takes away defense entirely and looks at plays that a pitcher was directly responsible for and how effective they are. The lower that number is, the more effective a pitcher is. You want a guy somewhere high threes, maybe low fours, and you could consider them a bottom of the order guy. His XFIP was up. His Obviously, his ERA was up, but he had a lot smaller sample size in 2022. He was missing almost 100 innings. I think, like Chuck said, $7 million to this team maybe, but if you look anywhere on X and our circles, everybody else has been screaming, what are we going to do about the pitching depth? Like Chuck said, we used 13 starters last year, and Kyle he just Gibson got rid of one. Was, Kyle Gibson was paid $12 million. What? $12 million to <laughs> Kyle Gibson. So, yeah. It was arguably worse. I, I don't want to make this podcast about our payroll or about the stupid TV deal that everybody... Oh, there's enough about. of that going... There's enough of that chatter going on elsewhere. I really, I really don't want to want to just go down that hole about on, on this podcast and talk about payroll. But, yeah, it's, it's concerning. Pitching depth is a big concern. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really quickly, um, we don't really have to get into the Shane Bieber trade rumors. We've been dealing with it for about two years now. We all uh, kind of officially know that it's going to happen at this point. It's just when. But as of a couple weeks ago, like I said, I'm just throwing this out there. How do you feel about the Guardians potentially trading for uh, Alec Manoa from the Blue Jays? Uh, there was some, you know, 
report that he was gaining some interest uh, for a trade. We all know that last year he struggled with a 5-8-7 ERA, but just a season ago he was a 16-game winner and an all-star, uh, and really their ace, and really kind of had a breakout season. And then obviously with injury and disappointment, was sent down this year and really hasn't been himself. Uh, I mean, this one's a tough one. He's definitely a bounce back candidate, no doubt about it. Uh, you put him in the right situation and he gets his mind and body right. I mean, you never he can pop, you know, that the stuff is there, like on a major league level, it's there. But I don't see us as a team that can give up assets for pitching at this point. We're desperate for offense, so I just don't see the fit right now. Uh, yeah, I just don't see them giving up prospects for pitching right now. That's the least. Of, pitching is the least of our worries, as bad as that is. And that's crazy to say because we literally just talked about the fact that this team used 13 starting pitchers last year. And, you know, we've seen no no shyness towards, you know, them having a, a burner guy back and forth on standby between Columbus. Connor Pilkington was that for a while. Um, Hunter Gaddis is probably going to be that guy. This year, maybe Xavion, although I know they like him in the bullpen. Um, I, I think I think there's some bigger concern about some intangible things with Alec Manoa. So it, it it's pretty unprecedented to take a major league pitcher and send him down to rookie ball. Uh, you know, maybe you send a guy to tr- to double A to to work on some mechanics where he can do it in a low stress environment and he's not putting the team and the development of other players in jeopardy. They sent him straight from Toronto to rookie ball. There was no in-between. It was no go to AAA to see if you can get it right. It was a you are going to rookie ball down to the lowest level. And there's also some character issues out there. There's an article uh, that the Blue Jays beat writer for The Athletic wrote. I will get her name for you here in a second. Where when he was optioned to AAA uh, later in the season after he was brought back up from the Florida uh, Complex League, which is the, or the – yeah, the Florida Complex League, which is where the Blue Jays rookie league is, he refused to report to AAA uh, Buffalo for a week. Um, I don't know if you can fix that. There was some talk of them being unhappy with how he showed up at camp. Um, you know, I'm not don't don't take this as fat shaming, please, anybody listening. But if you're a professional athlete, these teams expect a certain standard. The Guardians went through this with uh, Framil Reyes where Framil showed up to camp, he was out of shape, he had not worked on any of the stuff that the Guardians wanted him to do in the offseason. Uh, there were rumors of Alec Manoa showing up at camp severely overweight, not in shape. Um, and, you know, you never know what someone's going through. Maybe there's something going on in his life. You know, mental health is a big deal these days, as it should be. Um, you never want to see someone, you know, try to put it out there and their mentals aren't right. Uh, we saw that unfold with Tim Anderson this year. I just think... I think there's something more going on than just baseball. Um, and, you know, maybe he's just not happy in Toronto. You know, being sent down to the rookie league could have left a bad taste in his mouth. And if the Guardians think that they can fix him, I don't see why they wouldn't go get him. And I don't think there's any better time to try to buy low on a guy with a higher ceiling. But uh, this team, they won't <laughs> – I hate to say this. They won't part with their swath of middle infielders, seven of whom are never going to play for this team at the major league level. <laughs> Uh, it's just, I, I, I would like it, you know, maybe you get him in a new setting and you get him with a team that's very pitcher development friendly. Maybe he can turn it around, but I don't think Antonetti and Sharonoff are calling 
old Mark up in Toronto asking about it. Unfortunately, I just don't see it. Mm. Yeah, and with uh, the team kind of star for pitching, as we see the depth, the issues at depth that they have, um, just don't know if there are any free agent targets uh, in your guys' mind that maybe they should target. Do you expect them to kind of make a splash, if you will, um, in, in free agency, a Cleveland size splash? Because we know we're usually not that flashy when it comes to free agency or trading. But uh, if there's any guys out there that you expect them to kind of take a look at. Um, real quick aside, Chuck, just real quick. I told I told you I'd plug the Blue Jays athletic writer. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I follow her, actually. Um, free agency's out the window. Uh, it, it's done. <laughs> um, you could just yeah. – everything about the payroll just is so bad right now, just – and they're not being quiet about it either. They're like trying to get ahead of it by setting our expectations low. Going into the off season, I was like, "Hey, Teoscar Hernandez, he's a right-handed bat, has some power. He strikes strikes out a lot, but you know we can use that sometimes." And his his agent is Rafa Nieves, Jose Jose's, Jose Ramirez's agent. They're very close. That's out the window. Maybe Adam Duvall, like a cheap bargain bin, but. I don't see it. I think the only way to upgrade the offense is the trade. I think I think a trade is going to happen. I really do. Looking at this list, a lot of the so you go to Spotrack. Spotrack's got a pretty pretty robust free agent tracker. Uh, a lot of these guys have already signed. I was completely blown away when Aaron Nola signed for seven years and 172 million dollars. Um, he, he's just not the type of guy that to me, screams that type of money. But again, this is a different ownership. David Dombrowski of the Phillies is, he's not afraid to tell his GMs, or excuse me, he's not afraid to go out and, you know, spend to get his guys. Nola may not be a guy that's going to go out and win the Cy Young, but he's going to go out and he's going to give you darn near close to 200 innings every year. And we see how valuable that is. They don't care that his ERA was over four. They don't care that his FIP was up. They don't care that his left on base percentage was down. He's a guy that can stay healthy, can go out on the mound every fifth day, and just kind of anchor that rotation down. I was really kind of hoping that Cleveland would try to retain uh, Ronaldo Lopez, um, but unfortunately, Quincy and I's thinking was pretty identical. Quincy had him pegged at about nine and a half to ten million a year. I had him at right about ten, and that's what he got. He got three years, thirty million for the Braves with a fourth-year option. Um, Sonny Gray's off. Emilio Pagan. Uh, went to the Reds. Uh, Kyle Gibson, eh, who knows, signed with St. Louis. I don't really see anybody in this list. And the thing is, I mean, Penn Murphy's off the board now, too. The, the big thing is, like, and I hate this. I really try not to, to look too much into this because I think it masks the fact that we have a very brilliant front office that is aware that their owner is not afraid to publicly cry poor. And, and I hate it. Because it's shameful as a fan to look at teams that go out and spend money, and you want to know what they get to be excited about free agency. I have to wonder whether or not my team is going to cry poor every season. And attendance was up 41%. And I admire guys that go out in front of a much larger audience. I don't know how some of these reporters don't lose their minds. I appreciate the candor of guys like Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi. Uh, they they keep it cool. I don't know how Zach doesn't look at them and go, what the heck are you doing? 
you, you, you wanted to cry that attendance was the factor in 2021. Well, your attendance is up almost 50%. What's your excuse now? And it is a legit thing. You know, the ballet thing is unfortunate. We beat that into the dirt. There's no way around it. But I just, I'd like to believe that they would go out and get somebody, but uh, it's pretty much all but been confirmed that they're just going to stand pat and they're going to stick to their guns. And, you know, and that's maybe good for us if you like prospects, because I have no doubt that we will see a healthy dose of Jonathan Rodriguez and George Valera this year if Valera can get off to a healthy start. So, Maybe that's a good thing because we'll finally get to see a bit of you know what's in the tank and find out if those guys are up to snuff. Yeah, piggybacking off of a couple of things that you guys were talking about, uh, Chuck, you were talking about outfield. Um, really quick, Zach, since you were talking about pitching and maybe a uh, uh, um, bringing back Ronaldo Lopez, what do you think about this? Is for both of you. What do you think about a reunion with Matt Moore, especially being a lefty? Uh, his ERA over the past two seasons is 2.20. Um, he would just add that depth in the bullpen where you don't have many lefties but need additional names in there. Um, it's nice to think about. The fit, the fit was nice. We kind of had a bad set uh, in August. It wasn't so great. But I just don't – the last reliever we signed to a major league deal – was Boone Logan in like 2017? We don't we don't pay relievers. That's not going to happen. It's just not what we do. It may, it might it might make sense, but I don't see it. I mean, I'm assuming you're excluding the the Stefan extension and the Classe. You're talking like in free agency, right? Yes, strictly free yeah. agency. Yeah. Well, I mean, kinda. Dilo Santos was was he a minor league signing? Minor league signing. It was not a major. Well, yeah, that's that's right. And you know what? It I think that one was what hurt the most is you took a guy that had struggled with the Phillies, and made him good. I, I don't know. Moore is interesting. He's a little older. He's thirty five. I I like the thought of a reunion with him because his it, you can these numbers for relievers take them with a grain of salt because reliever volatility is a thing. We've seen it. Um, he's a fly ball pitcher. That's fine. You know we've got two very good defensive outfielders in Quan and Straw. His ERA was 2.56. His expected ERA was 3.33. But the big one is uh, his FIP was 3.73, but his ex-FIP was 3.95. So that that small difference between the expected versus the actual tells you that he's pretty true to what you can expect from him. Strikes out about 10 per nine, walks two per nine, gives up about a homer every nine innings, bad bit under 300. 88% left on base percentage uh, is prone to the home run fly ball, but that's because he is a fly ball pitcher. His ground ball rates 35%. That's not very high for a relief pitcher at all. So, um, you know, if you're comfortable in your defense, you can live with him giving up a tater every now and then. That's just, that's how it goes when you're a fastball pitcher trying to get flyouts. I'd be open to it. Um, but whether or not they actually pursue that, I just, and again, they, they have shown publicly that they are going to be reluctant to spend money until they know what in the heck is going on with their TV contract. And I honestly kind of don't blame them. Um, that money, if it just up and disappears, I mean, guys, $60 million is a lot of cash. Like, and, and this isn't, we're not the LA Dodgers where $60 million is drops in the bucket. That's what, two, two thirds of the team's projected payroll for the coming year? Maybe if you get him, you know, I always say there's there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Stick him on a one-year deal. 
maybe he see if he takes like five and a half million. Are they willing to spend that for Matt Moore? Maybe. I mean, they're, they paying, get, they're paying Scott Barlow seven million dollars. I, I just don't see it. Are they, that's the other thing is I, I don't think they're willing to put that much money in the bullpen because Scott's at seven, Class A is at five. Moore would make if you gave him a five and a half year deal. I mean, that's eighteen million between three guys. Everybody else is in either arbitration or pre-arb. Got to open up that checkbook. <laughs> uh, shifting gears to the outfield, um, it seems right now that Stephen Kwan is kind of really the only lock. And, of course, you'd be comfortable with that. He's won a gold glove. He's pretty comfortable out there in left field. Uh, two gold people, gloves. Two gold gloves, you're right. Uh, people, they have their issues with Mal Straw, you know, his issues at the plate. He's a very good defensive center fielder, even though he struggled uh, with the advanced stats this year, this past year. Um, what are your thoughts on the outfield and who would you like to see in center or right, even with uh, the re-signing of Ramon Laureano, who I think is a good idea to re-sign, especially with uh, his platoons at the plate, lefty versus righty. Um, he'll make a good a good fit. But who do you would you like to see, especially with the plethora of names that we have out there uh, in the majors and the minors? This is a tough one because if you look in strictly terms of like, I mean, they're all kind of the same. I don't think anybody of the current outfield committee brings any one thing that makes them stand out. Um, you know, Loriano cannot, he, he can't hit right-handers, really. He, you want him in the lineup versus lefties. Uh, Straw really can't hit anybody. Um, Brennan probably has the most consistent bat out of the two, but uh, there's some questions as to his viability in center field. Um, you know, his range, his arm. Uh, but we haven't really seen a lot of him in center field. You know, you'd see him maybe, what, in center every seventh or eighth day or so. Uh, I think the ideal outfield right now, and y'all are going to call me crazy, but the Rule 5 draft pick that they took today has kind of put this in my mind. I think your outfield is probably looking like a Quan and left, a platoon of Straw and Loriano in center and Josh Naylor in right field. Now y'all may think I'm nuts for saying that, but Cleveland took a corner infielder first slash third baseman from Arizona in the rule five draft today. He has to be on the 26 man roster all year or he gets returned. Why in the heck they would take that when they have Manzardo and Naylor? No idea. And the kid is only 20 years old. He has not played higher than double A. He strikes out a lot, but he is a very raw power boomer. Um, I don't know. That one made me kind of scratch my head, but it makes me think if they cannot spend money to go get uh, an outfielder or swing a trade, uh, maybe see how Josh is willing to go back out and play right field now that he's a bit removed from that injury. Teach him how to get down on the ball. Teach him how to slide. Uh, teach him good judgment on when to just give up and let it fall in front of him, but I know that that's going to be hard. There's not a lot of athletes that come back from that injury that he had, and we're lucky to still have him. So that's kind of where I'm at. I think that's your most logical course of action at this point. So I think the same thing. I really do. Um, unless the, 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 the Los Santos pick may have been protection on if they don't think Manzardo's going to be ready, Maybe just keep him in the minors for a few months, because you only have to have him on the forty on the 
26-man roster for 90 days. Maybe that's just protection on Manzardo's Zach, but... It's an awfully expensive protection. What, $100,000? Yeah, Um, for a team that's crying poor. (laughs) I just... It's really hard to see Naylor in the outfield after that injury. That was a horrific injury. Uh, It's really hard to see it, but I'm not ruling it out. I mean, they really only need a one-year stopgap in right field because then they're talking Chase the Water, you know. So you really don't really need a long-term solution. But I, can, I, I honestly see that. I think Miles Straws. I think he's a he's a, he's like a late-inning replacement at this point. Maybe yeah. he can, maybe he can hide him versus lefties here and there. But he really is a late-inning replacement at this point. And yeah, you're probably talking about Ben Ramon Mariano. I hope it's Naylor in right field, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't. You either trade Bieber for an outfielder or Naylor's your right fielder. That's how this is going to go. Either that, or you end up with a weird platoon where they carry an extra outfielder on the bench to start the year and let the the outfielders in AAA kind of sort themselves out and see who gets off to a hot start. Because I don't think Jonathan Rodriguez makes the team out of camp. I don't think Valera does either. I mean, they're both on the 40-man roster. Yeah, so you can call them up at any time. So and Brennan has Brennan has an option here left. They're there for a reason. But I, this roster isn't finished. The roster is here. Like, you have, like, six first basemen on the 40-man roster. <laughs> you have, it's, 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 it, this roster is not ready yet. So let's let the offseason develop, but... I think Bieber's going to get dealt at some point. I, I think he is too, but I don't think that's going to happen until the Rays find a deal that they're happy with for Tyler Glass now. Because I think that's going to be the first domino to fall because I think that framework is going to set the precedent for what the price is going to be for pitching in the offseason. That's okay. And then that's fine. But I'm um, not one of these people that needs like news in, in my face every second. <laughs> like it, It's okay. Them, the it, baseball offseason's a, a marathon. And I, that's okay. Yep. Uh, Mark Topkin, who reports on the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times, and I live in Tampa, so I was listening to WDAE earlier this week. Um, he said that the Rays have a tentative framework in place for a glass now deal. They're just working out the specifics. Um, I think once you see that get done, you're going to start seeing a lot more pitching changing hands. Uh, people that can sell from surplus will sell. And uh, I think. Uh, the thing is, I don't know if Bieber gets you the. I think they missed their window to sell on Bieber to get the most out of him, and that sucks. Um, see, see, I disagree a little bit. I think the market is uh, is more than we thought on Bieber. It's definitely a seller's market still, for sure. Like, yeah, you're not going to get him for like a year and a half control of whatever that would bring you, but I think the interest in pitching was much higher than we thought, and I think. The two start for Bieber at the end of the year when he came back was very big for his trade interest. Yep. And and I think a deal is going to get done. I really do. I think at this point you try to trade him somewhere where he wants to go, somewhere that will give him a contract extension, um, and use that as leverage Angels. to use that as leverage to jack up the price. Angels for Taylor Ward. That's what I, that's what mm-hmm. I'm aiming for. I don't know if I like that or not. I'm I'm not sold on Ward, but that's it. All right, so to bring it back around, because that 
kind of got everywhere, which is fine with me. Um, so do you view uh, Brennan as a potential platoon option in right field with Naylor? Because for me, I, I, I'm not saying that you're crazy for thinking that Naylor will go out there. I know for me, I personally probably wouldn't just because of how severe that injury was. Yeah. Plus, we don't really know if he wants to go back out in right field. He seems pretty comfortable at first base and is a, a pretty capable defender at first base. But if you are putting him out there, are you – kind of saying that Brennan would be that other option to platoon with them, despite them both being left-handed hitters. That was going to be my first thing is they're both left. And if I had to pick between the two, I definitely want Naylor's bat in the lineup every day because of the plus plus power. Um, and I want Naylor's bat in the lineup because how long did we cry last? I, I'm, I was guilty of this. I will own this publicly. And do you want him in right field over – I mean, teams aren't really doing the everyday DH thing anymore. They kind of want that spot open to kind of freely put people there. And as we've seen in our own case, you know, to give Jose kind of that quote-unquote off day, you just stick him at, at DH because you want his bat in the lineup. But taking all that out of context, are you saying you want him in right field more than just kind of sticking him at the uh, – not everyday DH, but mostly there, kind of like the him in – and. um I'm forgetting his name, who we signed last year, Josh Bell. I think I think you could make it work. Um, you know, like you said, I think the Guardians definitely enjoy that everyday DH flexibility. Stick there whoever you want based on matchup or who needs rest and out of the field for a day. Um, I don't think Naylor's going to hurt you defensively in right field. There's only, to my knowledge, if I remember correctly, one right fielder that posted positive defensive metrics in the league last year, and it was Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres. Um, and that's just because the kid is a freak. You can stick him anywhere on the diamond and he'd be amazing. Um, I really think it comes down to Nail's, Nail's comfortability. And if he's not comfortable going out there in right field, you're going to have some really tough questions to answer because I think Car Kyle Manzardo is definitely capable of pushing the issue. If he gets off to a hot start in Columbus, uh, it's going to be a lot like Tanner Bybee last year where Tanner's blowing people away and they don't have a choice but to bring him up because he's going to help the team win. So there's a lot of unknowns and we're going to get to see it play out live. So I'm excited. All right. Uh, moving on really quickly to uh, new coaching hires. Obviously we have a new manager this year for the first time in 11 years okay. and he's finalized his, uh, who his coaches and assistants are going to be. Uh, I just kind of want you to quickly uh, talk about the hires and what they'll mean to the team for people who don't know. Um, obviously, this will be a different batch of names than what fans are have been used to over the past couple of years. So uh, just kind of give your knowledge on what the hires will be and or, or are and what their what roles they'll play for next season. Chuck, you can have this one first. So Albernez is going to be our uh, – Bench coach, right, Zach? Yep, he's going to be the bench. He was originally hired to be the field coordinator, uh, but then the guy that they wanted for bench coach uh, went to the Mets, and so Albernaz is going to be the bench coach. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't his name also in uh, the round of potential hires for manager as well? He did. He did get an in-person interview for the manager job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of like Stephen Vogt's right-hand man. That kind of goes hand-in-hand. Like Millsy was Francona's right hand man for like decades. Many years. Yeah. So that literally goes hand in hand. I don't know if I would have wanted a more experienced bench coach. That's just me, but you still have Sandy Alomar 
gonna be running. He's gonna be in charge of the catchers and and first base. We still have Carl Willis, so that's enough experience there. And I'm really excited about. Uh, I forgot our third base coach's name. Um, it's Ruby. Yeah, I'm really Ruby Sodor. Yeah, I'm really excited for him to get his his opportunity. That's that's just that's just awesome. You know, somebody's been in the game for so long as he has to get an opportunity at the major league club. I won't I won't hammer this because we could we could spend an entire episode talking about coaching. All of these guys are experienced in a different facet. Steven Vogt, I, I love it. He wasn't on my radar at first, mostly just because he, he's not very far removed from being a player. You don't see guys make that jump a lot. Um, but they obviously liked him. They put him through the ringer uh, in the two-step interview process that they did. Um, they had him give a hypothetical speech to a struggling clubhouse. Um, and, you know, the word on the grapevine is after he gave it, uh, they, they pretty much offered him the job. So that's what you want. And I said this in, when we talked about it, when we learned that Tito was recovering or retiring last year. This is not a hire at manager that you can afford to get wrong because you have a lot of young, impressionable players. So I like both. Uh, Albernaz, uh, he's going to be a solid bench coach. I like him a lot better than DeMarlo Hill. He's a lot more personable. Obviously, Chris Valike is back. I think something interesting, they did go internal for two hires. Uh, Rulos Odor, longtime manager of the uh, AA Akron Rubber Ducks, uh, he is well-revered within the organization. I really, really like the, the promotion for him for infield coach. He's also going to be coaching third base in the departure of Mike Sarbaugh, who went to the Mets. Carl Willis is back as pitching coach. Obviously, Chris Valike is in as hitting coach. Um, and I thought the other interesting hire was Brad Goldberg. That was uh, interesting. Brad, Very it interesting. Was. Um, Brad Goldberg is going to be the bullpen coach. He was also, correct me if I'm wrong, Chuck, he was at Double A Akron, too. Um, yeah. Apparently, he has been very sought after by other teams. Uh, teams have asked Cleveland multiple times over the course of the last two seasons to interview him. And... Uh, he declined because he has made his home in the north, northeastern Ohio area, and he wanted to stay. Uh, so his patience has paid, and he's got a major league coaching job now. Uh, they obviously think very highly of him. There's a significant shift in this coaching staff to a lot younger thinking. So I think what a lot of us fans cry about and not seeing you know new age baseball with looking at splits, you know, things that we think as fans uh, should be used to put the best lineup out there every day, I think you're going to be seeing some more of that. And I really like the hire of Kai Correa from the Giants to be the Major League Field Coordinator. And if that position sounds weird, uh, that's because it is. Most teams don't have one, really. Uh, but the Major League Field Coordinator has their hands in a little bit of everything. So player development, roster construction. He's going to be working with Steven Vogt. How are players doing? What do they need? Uh, he's going to be working with the front office to, you know, the trade deadline. If they're buying, who do they want to go get that fits their needs? Uh, Kai Correa is going to have his hands in a little bit of everything. So that's that's pretty exciting, too. I'm going to be curious to see how that plays out. All right. Um, just a couple more things on the docket. Um, you guys touched on it earlier with Davis and De Los Santos. Um Top five prospect from Arizona, kind of a surprise to get. Um, last yep. year, he slashed 245, 297, 431 with 20 homers and 61 RBIs. Now, as we said already, that he has to spend most of his time on the 26-man roster or else he gets returned to Arizona. So what do you think his role will be uh, on the on the team next season? Kind of that, I don't know, call-up kind of uh, backup rotation guy. I got it. As I we already it. have a plethora of infielders as it is. 
I gotta tell you, I was talking to my sources all day. I, I was thinking Cole Wilcox and the Tampa Ray, Tampa Bay Rays system. That's who I wanted. The Guardians were talk, talk, spoke to him before the draft. They had a they had a deal done with them, but there were some injury concerns. He had he had Tommy John, I believe, in the Rays system. He was actually traded for Blake Snell. I was all in on Cole Wilcox, and then they take Dale Santos. He's a fifth-ranked prospect, monster power, 65-grade power. Everybody jumps right to Jackenzie Noel now that's not true. His swing decisions are much better. Contact is much better. And, and he had a very, very – I'm sure Zach looked up the numbers. He had very, very positive trends towards the second half of the season. I think yep. in, in July, August, and September, he was batting – I think he was – from a batting average standpoint, if he was batting like 280, 275. And it really makes you wonder that he has to be on the he, he has to be on the twenty six man roster or it goes to waivers. That's how this goes. Yep. And Actually, he doesn't even go to waivers. He he if they DFA him, him yeah. Well, so they offer him to him, and then Arizona can take him back and refund the Guardians half of the price they paid for him, which will be fifty thousand dollars. Right. So uh, they're gonna use him. I mean, you in theory you can flip him in a trade. But I don't see After that. 90 days. Uh, so my theory is he's there to protect them in case Manzardo is not ready and they and they send and they keep Manzardo on the minors for a few, for a few months, manipulate some service time, get a full year extra service. And that's your DH. I think it's insane, but he's like 19. He's 20. So, oh, yeah, he's I think 20 he ju- I think he ju- not like it makes a difference. I mean, we haven't seen a a kid come up, you know, that young and be successful since like what Juan Soto. So yeah, either him, Miguel Cabrera, twenty. Yeah, yeah. I think Soto was profile, up at nineteen. I mean, the profile's fun. It's fun to dream, you know. It's very Fran Mel Reyes ish, but you know, it's. it's yeah. But that's my theory. Uh, there's some theory out. I mean, me and Zach were talking. I brought this up to somebody else earlier in the offseason. Would they trade Josh Naylor? No. They, I'd hope not. It makes you right. wonder that the, he's down to two years control. He was very unhappy about them trading Aaron Savali, and that was very well known. He was very upset with management, how that played out. They just acquired a first baseman in Manzardo. It makes you wonder, but like I think that would really destroy the clubhouse if they trade Naylor. Bro, it would destroy the clubhouse, and it would wreck the fan base. And, and the fan base, the clubhouse, Bo, it just—it's such bad optics to trade Naylor. So, my guess is it's, it's that means Manzaro is going to stay down for a few months, and that's how it's going to be. And you know what? If if you know, they probably look at this as a relatively cheap option to buy them some protection. Um, I will tell you now that. I, so here's the thing: they wouldn't have grabbed him if they didn't see something that they liked. Uh, Plenty of established baseball writers out there will tell you it is far easier to teach a guy how to be more pitch and zone selective than it is to teach them a natural power profile. Think guys like John Kenzie Noel. Just he's quick to the ball. He's got a fast swing. He's got he's got the profile to lift the ball in the air. Those guys don't grow on trees. Um, Major League Baseball's pipeline gave Delo Santos a 65 power grade. Uh, Fangraphs has him at 60. Neither of them were very high on his contact. So maybe the Guardians are hoping that, you know, since he has this 
this power profile. They can teach him how to be selective. I would taper your expectations, though. He probably will play. I don't know for how long. Uh, but I would not expect it to be very pretty. He's going to be making a pretty big jump. He has not seen AAA pitching. Uh, <clears throat> not that they play you know, pitching or defense in the Pacific Coast League and AAA anyway. Uh, that league is all offense. It has been for the better part of the last decade. But who knows? I mean, the upside is massive. There's an article from Fangraphs that says if he even halfway figures it out, he's a 30 home run a year candidate. I don't give a crap if the guy strikes out 35% of the time. That means he's not grounded into a double play. You know what, I'll, I'll take 30 homers. We could use some swing and miss. You know? Because we don't have any. It's like my dad said. I was talking to my dad about it, and my dad was like, well, nobody else strikes out in the lineup, really. And it's like you can live with a guy that strikes out 27 28% of the time. And I'll give you this. He strikes out less. And granted, it's a double A, but he strikes out less than Frommel did. Frommel's strikeout rate was above 30% historically, even in his best year where he had 30 well, homers. As bad as Frommel was, he still had like a few good years. It's not like he didn't work out. He still was a middle-of-the-order bat for two years in Cleveland. Absolutely. You know, it just it ended up not working out for the long term. But it's a low-risk, high-ceiling move. It's very in line with Cleveland's thinking. Uh, go on X. Diamondbacks yeah, fans are absolutely furious. Manzardo's not in his opening day roster. It's bad luck. Yep. Bad luck. Yep, I agree. But the only reason his slash line is so bad um, and his OPS isn't great is because he doesn't walk. He only walks at 5% of the time. So you got a lot of time between now and spring training to throw everything in the kitchen sink at him and <laughs> see if he can figure it out. And if it doesn't work out, Manzardo's right behind him. And, you know. Can you imagine if he's, on the open, if he's in the opening day lineup? I don't know what I do with myself. I'm. I will not be back yet in time for opening day, so I will be screaming from afar. <laughs> I will be. I will be watching spring training and screaming from afar. I don't know, dude. It, it just didn't make sense to me. I was talking to Willie Hood earlier too, and oh, Willie is. Oh, I've been blowing up Willie. Hood. Willie Willie's pretty sure that he's going to get DFA'd and be sent back at some point, and they just took it for temporary protection. So, who knows, though? If he ends up working out and he starts crushing the ball, I want to ride that wave as long as I can. We haven't had a lot of homers to talk about in the last year. I'll take as many as we can get. They could have added another pitcher into their organization. Yes, they felt they didn't need it. Yeah. Piggybacking off of that, uh, lastly, the Guardians, of course, won the number one pick in the draft for the first time in franchise history. After only 2% chance to get the pick, uh, they're riding that Cleveland Cavaliers luck. Yeah. Um, with that number one pick, um, obviously we know we're not going to see them for a handful of years. We already know that. But which direction do you think they go, and do you have any names in your mind at who they're looking at? Uh, so there's basically about four players right now. Now, mind you, the college season hasn't started yet. So there's about four names that come to the top of my mind. Um Jeff and Justin were talking about this, too. Uh, I think, uh, Chuck, I want to hear who you're in on first. I'm, I'm curious if you're thinking what I'm thinking. It's, it's the same four guys. Same four guys you're about to say. So Travis Pizana, Chase Burns, uh, JJ, what's his name? I can't remember and, his last name. And Kurtz. Nick yep, and Kurtz. Nick Kurtz. Um, 
you really you really can't go wrong with any of those four guys. Uh, but there's also a lot we don't know. Paul Skeens was not talked about as the overall like surefire number one pick until after the college season was underway. And that doesn't start until February. So there's still a lot that can play out between now and then. And that's one of the things that makes the Major League Baseball draft so interesting is you get one final look at these guys uh, in college before they come up. But, man, I, I know Antonetti, is, he's sleeping sound tonight. They This does not happen often. That I really don't think you can screw this pick up. I think all of these guys are going to have a good year. underestimating, like – what this does to an organization like, like think of the baltimore orioles yep like adley, and how their and how their fortunes changed when they had the number one pick like drafting adley rutschman single-handedly mm-hmm. turned turn around the entire organization yep and this single, place single-handedly yep and then yeah but then you add in gutter henderson and jackson holiday but like adley rutschman single-handed if you nail the pick it single-handedly turns around an organization yep and you have the chance to draft a prospect that you know may only spend a year and some change in the minors, especially if you take a college guy. You're go- it's um, going to be college. It's going to yeah, be it's absolutely going to be college. You don't you don't take a high schooler with the first pick. And what this does too, something that I think a lot of people don't understand about the draft, this significantly increases your bonus pool money, um, which is going to help you later down the road in subsequent rounds reach for better talent because you're going to have more money to go out to guys and this is basically how the draft works is you're going to go to a prospect and you're going to say hey we're willing to sign you for this much and then their agent will take that to other teams and if other teams are not willing to pay for it they'll slide to you in the draft you're basically buying picks so for as much as you can't trade picks in the draft that's how that system kind of works itself out but uh the story of how this happened is absolutely wild. The original draw did not have the Guardians getting the first pick. The pick originally went to the Nationals, but because the Nationals are paying into the revenue sharing pool, they cannot have a top 10 pick two consecutive years, so they had to redraw. And then at a 2% chance, you know, four ping pong balls later, uh, the Guardians number combination was called, and, and that's it. Uh, pack it up. Uh, I'm salivating, dude. You really can't screw this up. I, I don't care who they pick out of those four. They're all going to have great seasons. Burns might have a little bit of a rough season. He's going to Wake Forest. He's transferring. Um, I like Travis. Uh, what's the last? B- 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 I forgot. Baz- Bazana, Bazana, Oregon State. Yeah, I like that profile really sticks out to me the most. But I worry it's right up their alley. I worry if he's going to stick a short. I don't think he'll stick a short stop though. I don't think you need him to at this point. I think you can stick him in right field if his defensive upside's enough and say, figure it out, man, because your bat will do it enough. But that Bazana kid, I like him. He's got a high zone contact rate. He doesn't swing and miss a lot. He does not strike out. He's extremely selective. Uh, Go go look up some YouTube videos on him. Prospects Live and Baseball America have some good videos on him. Uh, and just watch some at-bats where he's uh, looking at breaking pitches. You can see his decision-making. Uh, it, it's pretty quick. He's got good pitch recognition. So that's something that will translate well and will help him. So be interesting to see what happens as time goes on. But there is a long time between the draft and now. So who knows? Someone may emerge that we never even thought of. All right. And with that, folks, uh, we will get out of here because Chuck has to go spend time with the wife, which we certainly respect. So we want to make sure he does that. So, uh, yeah, uh, for Zach, for Chuck, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, I want to have you guys plug your your podcast and your Twitter account for anybody that's listening. 
All right, so you can follow us on uh, X. Uh, I'm still saying Twitter. I'm not going to get over that. Uh, you can find us at, at the corner pod. You can find me at ZachNoseBall216. And you can find Chuck at Chuck6361891810. Yes, that's a lot of numbers. Though. You do have to change it. Yeah, I, don't know, you do. I don't know what the hell that is. That you, do. Guy. But, uh, <laughs> you do. But uh, if you guys. security number out there. <laughs> if you guys like listening to us yell at a mic and talk about baseball, we talk about everything prospects, the draft, how the team's doing. Uh, and we try to get some some very, very smart people like Amari uh, and some other Cleveland personalities in to uh, share their wealth of knowledge with us. So we're all about community. So come hang out with us. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I know baseball, but these guys are definitely smarter than me, which is why I had them on the show today. So thank you for listening. You Make sure you guys go check out their podcast as well, because these guys are baseball geniuses. Uh, but for Zach, for Chuck, this has been another episode of Believe in Guardians. I'm your host, Amari McPherson, and we'll catch you next week. Peace. Thank, thank you, Amari. See you guys.